Welcome to FEPS Talks, the podcast series of the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on feps-europe.eu. Welcome everyone to this new episode of FEPS Talks. So today we are going to talk about the Future of Europe Conference and Future of Europe Central Lago. And there is no better person to uh, give us an introduction and give us the views about the perspective of this grant project that uh, Professor Marek Belka, Professor of Economy, uh, former Prime Minister of Poland, uh, former leader of the uh, National Bank of Poland, as also a person who led the Committee for the European Integration, a very important episode in the Polish history, but currently, which is perhaps the most important to give uh, backup for this invitation, Vice President of the Social Democrats uh, group inside of the European Parliament, and a person responsible for the future of Europe dossier. Very nice to have you with us. Thank you. My pleasure. There are many people who are saying this Future of Europe conference was supposed to be a panacea. A year ago, it was announced as a big plan of the new mandate of the new institutions. But so many months later, we are still awaiting the beginning. So would you tell us what's going on? Well, it's obvious that the European Council, so... The capitals, the countries, are dragging their feet and uh, some countries are not enthusiastic about initiating this process. But there is um, strong support for the Conference on the Future of Europe in the Parliament or in most political factions. And as far as as our group is concerned, we are uh, ready, we are quite enthusiastic and we see it as a means to reinvigorate uh, the public support for the European project, for the European integration. Well, talking about the public support, because uh, you've mentioned the uh, tensions between the institutions, uh, but uh, um, as we see, the uh, civil society is already organizing themselves. So what would you say from a perspective of, uh, you know, the group of enthusiasts, uh, what would be the benchmark to make this conference about the future of Europe not disappoint the European citizens who are once again gearing up with a hope that it's going to be different? Well, first, we think that uh, this is a very good opportunity to link to, let's say, broader layers of uh, of society. I think that the overall support for the European integration in the European continent needs uh, more debts so to say. I mean, we should discuss in a more uh, fundamental way about the future of the European Union, but also about the current challenges that we are facing uh, as Europe. We all know that this is one of the turning points for the European integration. I mean, the pandemic uh, is obviously the uh, defining moment, but uh, even without pandemics, we, we would be in, in need to discuss uh, fundamental issues among the European peoples. So that's why it's so important for us. And because uh, you talk about the fundamental issues and the future challenges, and uh, very frequently the debates about the future of Europe are narrowed down to the questions of institutions. But I do understand from the position of uh, socialists and Democrats inside of the European Parliament that the ambition is much larger. Well, institutions are very important, but obviously for the people, the most important uh, issues are real challenges. Well, number one is how to react to the situations posed by COVID-19. We know all that this is not the last pandemics uh, that we may face as the world and as Europe. 
So we have to analyze what went wrong, what are the successes of the European Union, and we should look at how the European countries should strengthen the cooperation in the domain of public health, in the domain of reacting to such potential disasters as we are now going through. But, of course, health problems is one thing. Health union, one of the terms that were coined recently, which sort of points to a new direction for the European integration. But together with health problems are, of course, the economic problems because COVID has basically put the economy of European countries into some kind of hibernation. And the immediate results are close to disastrous. So we have to work now on how to rebuild the economy. And the economy is not an abstract term. It's about the livelihoods of people. So we have to look at uh, how uh, Europe should uh, strengthen its capability to support recovery of the economy in, in the future. Also, quite recently, we are facing a new challenge. I mean, a challenge about uh, human rights, about basic human rights, about values that the European integration is uh, founded on. We have this famous or infamous debate about linking funds with rule of law issues. Well, this is not just an episode. It's more fundamental than most people think. So I gather that uh, within the process of the Conference on the Future of Europe, we are going to look into this and to sort of clarify our not so much views, but uh, the instruments that we are going to use in the future uh, to react to certain situations. I think that the, the scope of ambition is therefore really big because uh, what you describe is on one side restore uh, Europe as uh, as people's dream, as something that they identify as an opportunity for the future, um, giving it uh, instruments to act. Uh, but all that, uh, what would be the conclusions? Because there are many uh, critics who are saying Europe is so divided. Uh, now you've mentioned the question of law, which is an, indeed a fundamental discussion uh, where also a veto has been uh, placed and threatened uh, on other issues, uh, keeping uh, the uh, EU on the stand still when it comes to recovery funds. So how can we hope for a unity on one hand side? And on the other, would you say that, uh, you know, there is a chance for a reform to be put in place? Is there a chance to reach such an agreement on such a scale? Okay, so many questions in your statement. Uh, let's take first the issue of, of unity. Well, Europe uh, is united, uh, but, uh, but it's also diverse. And of course, it will always be diverse and, and we'll keep this diversity, but keep it uh, from being disruptive. So unity, first thing. Well, I think that uh, as a S&D group, we should, uh, clar- we should solidify and clarify our progressive agenda for the European Union, for the European integration. Well, it's clear and it's good for, uh, for our, let's say, family, for our supporters, but it's also some kind of honesty towards others. We have to be honest what we are for, what we are supporting, to be able to discuss with people and with organizations that are not uh, of the same opinion. The issue, that the dimension of the Conference on the Future of Europe that I am trying to undermine all the time is that we should, on the one hand, 
clarify and solidify our progressive agenda, but not shy away from confronting this with other people, with people that are not like-minded. We should, and I think that we are not afraid of discussing difficult issues with people that think differently, especially among young people. Well, I cannot help but, of course, refer to my Polish experience. And I know that the Polish society is very much divided, probably less than it is reflected in the political balance of power. But what we need in Poland, I believe we need it also in Italy, in France, in in Germany, everywhere, is to discuss uh, openly and without treating political correctness too fundamentally with people that have different priorities and that have a different uh, view on the future of Europe. And there are so many issues that we have to discuss. Uh, well, of course, what matters for the people most is the well-being, the economy, the livelihoods. And we have to put forward clearly what do we mean by this. Then we have the problem of the strategic autonomy of Europe that, it, that we sometimes did let's say, put forward as a certain goal of the European integration, especially in the world as we are now confronted with. So, well, we have to deal with the issue of immigration, how to reconcile the the fears of certain groups of people with the necessities and with our understanding of human rights. So this is something that we have to discuss honestly and um, not sort of being afraid of, of discussing with people that have completely different views. So to say. One thing I would add, as socialists, we are not afraid of the Eurosis, of the Conference on the Future of Europe. And the reason is clear. We are probably the consistently pro-European, most consistently pro-European, more pro-European than other political groups. I think so. And we are not afraid of discussing even difficult issues because um, we have a strong, uh, let's say, reference point. Whereas groups uh, that are sort of ambivalent, that are not, um, let's say, clear about what they think Europe should look like in 20 years, they may be afraid of, uh, of being, let's say, confronted in these popular discussions with views that will overwhelm them, so to say. So I'm, I think that S&D and Socialist Democrats are generally happy with the conference. And because we have a clear agenda, both in real issues, but also in, in issues that are probably more, let's say, arcane for the average European citizen, but are very important. Like, for example, are we going to stick to this unanimity votes in all issues? Are we going to, let's say, support the way, well, the intergovernmental activities rather than communitarian activities? We should be prepared to explain what is the difference between communitarian method of working, so together as Europe, and national Okay, here again, I have this Polish experience in the back of my mind because uh, there is so much misunderstanding uh, that, especially in the country like Poland, but also I think this is also uh, present in other countries that that the government well uh, exposes this wish uh, of uh, national 
to strengthen national sovereignty, national competences. But when we face problems, then suddenly we are all flocking back to, to Brussels and asking for help. So this is something it has to be explained, exposed also to the people. Why do we want European integration, European method, communitarian method? Why is it not an abstract term, but it's concerning everyday life and every family's life? So this is, well, you know, just a small example, Brexit. Brexit is for most of the people, well, uh, more or less an abstract term. Okay, what, what will change? Then suddenly, in the last few days, it turns out that as of the 1st of January, the cost of, of telephone connection with the UK will go up like 100 times or 50 times because they will cease to be uh, part of the roaming agreement. So there is something real in a country being within or without. This is something that appeals to the younger generation. And we should use this, such illustrations, to either convince people or to strengthen their European beliefs. And also, we have to use the conference, the process of the Conference on the Future of Europe, to give our supporters, let's say, good arguments, because we are going to trigger discussions. And I hope that these discussions will turn spontaneous, will turn uncontrolled even, which I, which I like. I mean, I, I would like people to start deb debating, uh, quarreling. Let's give them good arguments for the European integration. I have to say that you made me smile during the conversation because it is uh, such a great... Uh feeling to be going beyond of everything that is known of the culture of absolute consensus and actually look at the different arguments. It's really uh, sort of engaging uh, to think about uh, Europe in terms of what's important, what's important, what makes people. Um, uh, you've been calling quite a lot about uh, the Polish example, which I fully understand, of course. Um, but you've also said that the uh, social democrats are very much united when it comes to the future of Europe conference. Please don't mind me poking here a bit around, uh, because I know that the uh, MFF, uh, Multiannual Financial Framework, is very close to your heart. You will be writing for our Progressive Yearbook, this is my commercial break here, uh, about that in conjunctions with Generation, Next Generation EU. But there we've seen uh, some of the divides inside of the political family. You have kept on being an enthusiast, saying that there are new tools in place. How does that come into this, you know, bigger discussion that you described about ensuring well-being of people, uh, reinventing growth for Europe? Uh, what can we count on that side? What's possible when even inside of the family we see, uh, you know, frugal as the names, we see frictions. So what's the strategy forward? Well, I'm a specific interlocutor for you in this respect, because uh, on the one hand, I have always felt my left-leaning, uh, let's say, uh, well, I have always leaned left in my in my policies, but don't forget, I was six years governor of the central bank. And central bankers are seen as conservatives, proponents of uh, frugality, even austerity, which is not true. And so much has changed in the last decade or more. But I understand the arguments of the other side. So that's why I feel that's a comfortable asking these questions. First, 
I think that from the economic point of view, the turning point in the European uh, integration was the introduction of the common currency. The common currency, which, well, the decision about it uh, was made in 1992, as far as I remember. So when Poland was still sort of on the peripheries of the European integration, if I may say so. But the euro changed the picture, the, euro, the economic picture of the European integration. Because uh, it was like, I mean, when you introduced euro, you have introduced a mechanism of enforcing ever deepening economic and social integration in the European Union. Ten years ago, I remember during the first, the, the, this global financial crisis, there were people saying, well, maybe we should dissolve. We should let the euro collapse. Now nobody says so. Because, number one, the countries that were hit most, like the Greeks, were adamant in staying within the euro because they understood that the losses of the euro collapse were immense, especially for them. And the potential benefits were elusive and uncertain. People who think that, who have thought at that time, that euro might be a burden for some countries, don't understand that without euro, the common market, which is the backbone of the European economy, would also be in big danger, maybe even collapse. So we have to stick with the euro. But then... With the euro, we have to build institutions. Well, I don't know whether this is politically correct, but I don't care. But we have to move into building European state-like or state institution, banking union, capital union. But now we have this first elements of real fiscal union. Fiscal union is a blasphemy for some people or for some, for some parts of, let's say, the northern countries, so to say, and I can understand it because I have been with in this. But more and more people understand the benefits of Europe for everybody, also for the frugals, or mostly maybe for the frugals. But there is a consequence. If you have said one thing, common currency, we have to move forward. And uh, this, uh, we are now facing a, a very important moment because it's not just the usual MFF. It's the new generation EU, which has a potential to sort of open door to fiscal union. And fiscal union is nothing that people should be afraid of, even in the in the countries like, you know, Holland, uh, the Netherlands, that is, and other northern countries. If we look at fiscal union in the U.S., the cost of fiscal union is not higher than two, three percentage points of the, of the GDP. So compare it with 1% in the MFF or 2% in the whole package now. So this is really not a dramatic change. It's something that we can manage easily. And it's not only about avoiding big losses. It's about having real tangible benefits for everyone. But of course, the devil lies in details. And we always discuss about, well, when we build up a, a backstop for, uh, let's say, um, European uh, Resolution Fund, well, then there is a, a long-standing, long, long, long process of discussion how to build in safeguards uh, that would uh, sort of try to reconciliate uh, solidarity on the one hand and responsibility on the other. We need responsibility, of course. But as an economist, if we don't reform the stability and the growth back, 
we are then bound to commit the same mistakes that we have committed after 2008 or 2010. Well, it's very good to be fiscally responsible, but it's very bad to impose fiscal austerity in the worst time that the fiscal austerity can work. Then we can really, I mean, we are shooting in the food, so to say, ourselves in the food. It's it's self-defeating policy. We have to find a way out of it. And as an economist, not as a socialist economist, but as an economist, a well, let's say, educated mainstream economist, I know that fiscal austerity is good in good times, not in bad times. It's in the uh, uh, conference about the future of Europe, just to, uh, you know, wrap up because we are coming closer to the grand finale of our conversation. It's all about, uh, you know, making things better or about uh, setting the new horizon. You spoke about making that about issues that are important for people, about connecting with people, about generating a different quality of democracy in Europe, not only by institutional reform, but by enhancing dialogue. I just want to ask the very last question. Probably many people listening to this conversation uh, are wondering, right, so how can I personally get involved? I mean, you are talking about the dreams, you are talking about the dialogues, you talk about confrontations between the political parties. Very exciting because, of course, uh, you know, this is where uh, the core of the uh, public debate lies. But how is the uh, socialist and Democrats' position to reach out to the citizens across uh, What would be the way that you could advertise uh, getting in contact and getting involved uh, to the partner organizations or to the citizens themselves? Mm -hmm. Well, let me say first that even with the conference on the future of Europe still, let's say, not uh, having uh, started, we are already discussing the future of Europe. I mean, the recent discussion on the new generation EU and on the rule of law linkage with the funds This is really part of the discussion that will take the central role, the central stage in the discussions in the process of the Conference on the Future of Europe. So we have already started this. It shows how important it is. And uh, the problem for us, socialists, is to show to the broader public, not only to our supporters, that we have a progressive dynamic view of Europe. You know, the problems of socialists all over the world is that we have basically won in the sense that our agenda has been taken over by everyone. And now it's not only Europe, it's it's all over the world. We are looking for purpose, so to say, for, for the next agenda. And we have we're finding it. The progressive agenda is, is about it. But in Europe, socialists are the are consistently the most and, and fundamentally pro-European part of the political spectrum. And we have to translate it into language and instruments and arguments that appeal to the people, thus showing that socialism is also next to Green Deal, sustainability, next to the rule of law, next to the human rights, next to the tolerance, the consistently pro-European force. And that we have not only enthusiasm and feelings, but also good arguments. So this is how I see the, the role of the Conference on the Future of Europe and our role, our think tanks, people that are, let's say, politically involved in this, to formulate concrete arguments and use them and show them this is our 
socialist input, socialist contribution to the discussion about Europe. And connecting with citizens, I mean, uh, how would you do it? You come from Łódzki, a very complex uh, place. Uh, so how to bring it to the ground, uh, just more practically? First, uh, connecting with people is about addressing concrete issues. The people are not going to discuss institutional subtleties, nuances. That's important, but they may even understand, many of them understand it. What really excites people is that when we formulate concrete issues in good language, sort of accessible language, and then you can go out and discuss with the students, for example. And when I say students, it's not just university students. I I'm very keen in meeting uh, high school students, you know, the people who will start voting in two, three years even, because they are open. And and the moment they, they uh, well, the problem is that you have to win their trust. I'm sort of so old that you may doubt whether I can win the trust of youngsters. It's much easier for me than to discuss with the 40 years old because the youngsters are open and sincere and even if they are if they have completely distorted in my opinion distorted view they're willing to discuss and i'm fine with it i'm fine with it i this is my element discussion certainly i mean even i i would say that I'm bored to discuss or take part in conversation with the like-minded people. Well, that's a bit of a grand finale I didn't expect in this uh, Feb stocks. But nevertheless, I would like to thank you, Prime Minister, very, very much and wish you all the best of luck uh, uh, in your role as a vice president of S&D Group leading on the portfolio of the future of Europe. I hope that the audience will agree with me that it has been an absolutely fascinating discussion whereby you pointed out to what matters, uh, what is necessary, and what is the key ingredients toolbox in order for us as progressives to make a difference uh, when it comes to the future of Europe conference, when it comes to making that a different one, And when it matters the most, winning the trust, as you said, of the upcoming generation. Thank you so much for being today with us. Thank you. My pleasure. And uh, I only can wholeheartedly recommend this podcast to everyone listening. Thank you so much for your attention. Bye-bye. Thank you for your attention. If you found our conversation interesting, do not hesitate to share it on social media with the hashtag Talks. More is yet to come. Stay tuned.